we're going to have you come up again in a few weeks um, and just do the message, Adam, and uh, <laughs> have you do that. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it an awful lot. And, and as Adam was laying out his story, that question of does God exist? And if, do, and if God does exist, why do such horrific things happen? Why is there pain and suffering in this world? Everybody in this room asks that question. And just as Rob shared about the excitement and the enthusiasm children have about our children's ministry, I want you to know this, that Adam Matthew and, and, the, and the team of folks that he has working in our Journey Student Ministry is doing a marvelous job as they confront different questions like Adam's as, as they're in junior high and high school. It's a lot to process. And so I'd ask us to keep praying for Journey, keep praying for Kids Zone, keep praying for the ministries that are going on in this church because that big question of if God does exist, why do these horrific things happen? And we come to this story, and I invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4. We've been looking at this story for the past number of weeks where, this, where Jesus Christ encounters this Samaritan woman at a well. And we don't have all the details of our life, but what we can piece together is, are, are a number of things that will lead us to this, that her life has not been smooth, and if, it, and if there's anybody in the Bible who questions God's existence and why do horrific things happen if God does exist, she would be a person to talk to about this. Because she encountered difficulties throughout her, her life. She encountered and she encountered hurdle after hurdle after hurdle. She comes and she sits down with Jesus, or Jesus is sitting down, and she comes up to him, and they begin to have a conversation. When this conversation began, she didn't want to have anything to do with him, but as the conversation continued, she realized this, that authenticity truly is the best policy. It truly is. We pick it up in verse 16 of chapter 4. Listen to what happens here. Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming. And has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I am the one speaking to you. I am he. Father, we pray now as we come into this time of looking at your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes that we may see, open our ears that we may hear, 
Open our minds that we may understand and open our hearts that we may be transformed so that we can become more and more like the people you desire us to be. Holy Spirit, do your work and may no one hear anything that I say but only what it is that you want them to hear and need them to hear. And in all of this, Lord Jesus, may you be the one who receives all glory. For it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So a quick recap of where we are in this, in this story, in this conversation, and it, and it happens this way. Jesus is tired and thirsty. He's traveled from, from, uh, from Jerusalem down to, down to Judea, down into Galilee, I should say, and it's a 70-mile journey. That journey takes approximately two and a half days. He's tired. He's exhausted. He sits down and in this, at this well in the middle of a Samaritan village. As he's sitting there, a number of things are going on behind the scenes. The first is this, Jews and Samaritans absolutely despise one another. A better way to say it would be this, they hated one another. They absolutely hated one another. And not only did the Jews and the Samaritans hate one another, but also it was not a good thing for a man to be, married, to be talking to, an, to, a, to a woman who was not his wife. There's all this tension going on behind the scenes, and, and then to add to the drama of it all, we're at this well, and this well isn't some random well. It's a well that has been there in existence for centuries, if not even thousands of years, and it is the same well where one of the heroes of Israel, Isaac, sought a bride, and that is crucial. It's crucial because we're told throughout the New Testament that Jesus Christ is the bridegroom, and he is seeking a bride. He's at the well where history was made centuries prior when Isaac met his bride. Jesus Christ desires to meet his bride. Jesus Christ desires his bride to enter into this amazing relationship. And yes, Jesus Christ never got married, yet he's there at this well. And by being at this well, he is meeting this woman who's a Samaritan. The very people that the Jewish people do not like, the very people that the Jewish people absolutely hate, the very people that, that the Jewish people say, you're a second-class citizen, we want nothing to do with you. Yet Jesus Christ is sitting at this well where this amazing, this amazing marriage, uh, this, this encounter happened between Isaac and this woman centuries prior. Now this amazing encounter is happening between Jesus Christ and this Samaritan woman. And it communicates this to us, is that Jesus Jesus Christ is the bridegroom for a bride that, that comes from wherever on this planet. Whatever belief system you have, Jesus Christ has come to rescue you. And so the Samaritan woman shows up. And before I forget, Jesus is at this well because he's thirsty. What's interesting about this is that we find out he never got a drink of water. Now I got to tell you, I'm not the greatest host in the world, but if I see that you're thirsty, I'm probably going to ask you if you want a drink of water. She doesn't even offer him that. He continues to remain thirsty. 
And so we come to this place now where they've been talking about water, and we come to this place where, where you would expect Jesus to keep moving in this direction, yet what does Jesus do every single time we think we haven't figured out in a conversation? He takes it into a place that we never expected him to go. And that's what he does here. Verse 16, go call your husband and come back. Jesus Christ is now entering into an opportunity for this woman to become unmasked and unveiled. He's providing this opportunity because it's necessary for her to see that he is truly the Messiah. It's necessary for all of us to understand that he wants us to be unmasked and unveiled. And why would he go this route? It's interesting. He doesn't sit there and say, hey, you know, let me just tell you who I am. He says, go call your husband and come back. And it's something that oftentimes gets overlooked in our lives, and it's this. Jesus came not only for an individual, but he came for individuals. We use terms that are true when we talk about our experience with Jesus Christ. We use this term, he's my personal Savior. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. And yes, that is all true when we place our trust in him. But what we fail to do, but we, but we, and, and, and we fail to do it so often, and it's not that we're intentional about it, but hear me on this, we should never, ever, ever forget that Jesus Christ came not only to rescue each and every one of us, but he came to rescue all of us. He came to rescue humanity. And so often we forget that. He says, go call your husband and come back. He knows that she's had plenty of husbands, and he also knows that she does not have a husband right now. And so when she goes back into her village to call her husband, there are at least probably five guys there that could say, well, I was once your husband. He knows this, and he wants her to go back and he wants her to go back and bring everybody with her. The reason why I've had us praying for people to invite to our Friendship Sunday is because people need a Savior. Yes, he is my personal Savior. Yes, he has rescued me. But my goodness, it's, he's, he didn't come only for John Bosick. He came for humanity. And there are people that we interact with all the time who need to hear this good news. And so she responds. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. I'm off the hook. You're never off the hook when you're in a conversation with Jesus. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. What you have just said is quite true. This woman is authentic. This woman tells it like it is. She removes her mask. She could have simply said, I have no husband and I'm not going anywhere, but she says it and she doesn't leave the conversation. 
And because she doesn't leave the conversation, the conversation gets to continue. But there's a bigger thing going on here that applies very much to us today. And it's this. She takes off her mask. She takes off her mask. And, and as we look at this, I want to give you a little phrase here. Mask removal always leads to life renewal. When we remove our mask and are authentic, things happen. When we're authentic with Jesus Christ, when we're authentic with God, what ends up happening, God goes to town in our lives. And we're going to do some Bible hopscotch now, and so I invite you to turn in your Bibles all the way back to Exodus chapter 4. And listen to this, and, 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 and yeah, I'm going to fly through these so you might not catch up with me, but they're on the screen. You can write them down. You can look at them if you don't get there in time. God is having this encounter with Moses, and Moses says this to God in verse 10. He says, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. In essence, he's saying, I can't speak very well. Verse 11, Yahweh said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, Yahweh? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Moses could have said, I'm not in. He could have put up a mask and said, okay, let's go for it. But Moses is authentic, and in Moses' authenticity, God says, I am with you. Now turn a few pages to the right. Go to Job chapter 19. And this is one, I find this verse, one of the, one of the more humorous verses in all of Scripture. And so Job is laying this out, and, and, and in Job 19, Job continues to say, why is all this stuff happening to me? His friends have come alongside to try and comfort him. But Job, as you go through the book of Job, you'll notice Job is very authentic. And Job says this in verse 19, he says, my breath is offensive to my wife. I list all these problems that I'm having. I have sores on the bottom of my feet all the way to the top of my head. You would think he would focus on that, but what does he focus on? Bad breath. You can talk to God about bad breath, and God doesn't get turned off by it. He's authentic. We continue on, and we look at the book of, of uh, well, we look at the book of Psalms. We come to Psalm 51. David has blown it big time. He's committed adultery with Bathsheba. If anybody on the planet at this time, as a king, he had, he had, he had carte blanche. He could do whatever he wanted. He could have hidden behind whatever his title. He could have hidden behind it. But listen to what he says, starting at verse 3. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you're judged. David is authentic and he says, I accept that I have completely blown it. And God restores him. The entire book of Jonah, chapter 1 through chapter 4, you will not find one time that Jonah says, boy, I'm thrilled about doing, um, I'm thrilled about sharing your good news with my enemies. Jonah says repeatedly, I do not like these people. He says it over and over again. And God says, that's your problem. We're rescuing them. 
And then we come to John chapter 11 where, where Jesus Christ encounters uh, Mary and Martha. And Lazarus is dead. He's in the tomb. He's been in there a few days. And listen to what happens in John chapter 11. It's sort of funny because they come up to him. Jesus shows up and Mary and Martha are very, very straightforward and very authentic. They say this, verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In essence, Lord, where on earth were you? I'm not happy with you right now. My brother would still be alive if you had been here. God can handle our authenticity. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 1, we, we encounter Paul talking to Timothy, and Paul in essence says, I am the least of all sinners. Why do I keep hammering this point? I keep hammering this point because of this. So often, so often when we think of our relationship with God, when we think of our relationship with one another, authenticity seems to take a back seat. We think we need to put on a mask to interact with God. We think we need to put on a mask to interact with one another. Yet over and over again throughout Scripture, we are told, be authentic. God can handle your authenticity. He can handle it. She Back to this woman in John chapter 4, she is being very authentic. It says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus' response to her is this, not only are you right in saying you have no husband, you've had five. And the man you have now is not your husband. Mask removal leads to life renewal. And no matter how many games you want to play, no matter how many games I want to play, no matter how many masks you wear or I wear, thinking that we can't be authentic, when Jesus Christ gets involved in our lives, those masks come down and they should come down. And we simply be the authentic people that we are and get this, as she's authentic, as we're authentic with him, notice something. Jesus Christ knows exactly who you are, and he stays involved in your life. Just because you tell Jesus how you're feeling, he doesn't say, whoa, I'm out. You've overwhelmed me. I can't handle you being that authentic. Jesus Christ enters into that authenticity. He entered into the story of Adam Porter's life. As Adam saw his dad when he was five years old and hasn't seen him since because his dad's incarcerated. Adam has had many authentic conversations with God. And in the midst of those authentic conversations with God, God has never once said, I'm not involved. You've now overstepped the lines. I don't want to be involved with you anymore. Please, for your sake, for your friend's sake, for your relationship with God's sake, be authentic. Remove the mask and experience life renewed. 
We don't have to play games with God. And as you experience this life renewal, as you experience being authentic, and as you're engaged in conversations with people, you'll understand this, that if they're going to be authentic with you, there are going to be times when you're taken a little, you're taken aback, but yet because of what Christ has done in our lives, we stay involved in the conversation. I've been called more things than, than I care to admit in different conversations that I've had with people. They've not always been good things that have been said to me. But what God continues to remind me is this, is that when real people are talking about real life, you're going to hear real stuff. And in the midst of hearing that real stuff, we stay involved. We do not run. Jesus Christ didn't run. And perhaps this woman thought that he would run, but, but then she finds out that he doesn't run, and we pick it up in verse 19. Her response, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She thinks she knows who she's talking to. But little does she know, and little do we know, that when we're engaged in a conversation, in a dialogue with Jesus Christ, there is much more than we could ever know when it comes to Jesus. More than you know. More than you know. And I want you to notice, as we've gone through this, as we've gone through this chapter, I want you to notice something, that this conversation has progressed when Jesus is at the, when they first introduce one another, Jesus is looking at her and says, could you please give me a drink of water? And her immediate response is, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. We really don't do this. She calls him a Jew. And then we move forward, and we talked about it last week. She says to him, sir, and the Greek word that, the, that is used there is the Greek word for Lord, Kyrie. So now she's moved from you're a sir to now, yes, you, or you're a Jew to now you're a sir. And yes, the Greek word that is used there is Lord. But then she moves it again and she says, I can see that you are a prophet. One of the beautiful things about this, one of the beautiful things about this encounter is this. The more you get to know Jesus, the more you want to know Jesus. He is the most fascinating individual who's ever walked the face of this earth. There is no one more amazing than Jesus Christ. There is no one that gets involved in your life more deeply and intimately than Jesus Christ. He is truly amazing. And she carries on and she says, I see that you're a prophet. And then she says this, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Back in her day, she understood her history very well. She understood why this mountain was so significant. It's because that's where they encountered, she and her people encountered God Almighty. There were a variety of things going on, and yes, the Samaritan belief system was a little skewed, to say the least. But yet, they believed that on this mountain is where significant events happened. And so she changes the conversation because she's realizing there's something bigger going on now. Archaeologists have studied 
every all the civilizations and 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 one of the things that they've studied one of the one of the things that they've concluded upon studying all these different civilizations throughout the history of man they found this out to be true that they have yet to find a civilization that does not have some type of god involved we are designed for worship it's part of our dna it's part of being created in god's image and so she says i understand this that you guys you jews claim that the place where we must worship is in jerusalem we worship on this mountain and jesus takes her to a place in her thinking that she had never been before and he says this a time is coming a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in jerusalem you samaritans and notice this you samaritans worship what you do not know People worship things that they don't realize they're worshiping. And in the process of worshiping those things that they don't realize they're worshiping, it does something to their lives. In the United States, we tend to worship materialism. We don't realize it, but we do. Always looking for something better, something greater. We worship fame. You can't go to a grocery store, you can't go to Star Market and be checking out without seeing all these magazines listing all these famous people. They're simply famous for being a celebrity. But we're fascinated by this. We worship it. And we worship what we do not know. We worship not realizing the damage that can be done when our worship is in a place and to to a person or to a thing that is not going to take care of us. And so Jesus says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation. And notice that word, for salvation is from the Jews. This restoration is from the Jews. Jesus Christ is saying, it starts here. It starts with me. It starts with the one that you called a Jew earlier. So worship happens the question is this who or what is worshiped who or what are you worshiping and i decided to take it upon myself to talk a little bit about worship right now and worship and we have these worship experiences every sunday morning i want you to hear i want you to understand that worship is more than meeting and greeting time it's awesome to watch you guys interact with one another. Even you introverts are now into this. I'm blown away by that. It's another sign that Jesus really is going to come back one day. But I watch what happens. I watch the interactions and I, and I hear the conversations. I hear the laughter. But that's worship is far more than that. And worship is more than music. I love singing. I don't have a great voice, but I love to sing. Heidi will testify, since she was a little kid, I've been singing. She's tired of my bad voice. But I love to sing. And so often we sit there and say, well, let's go and worship, and we think it is singing. Worship is far more than singing. 
Yes, Heidi and the worship team put these, do their darndest to, to, to make sure that we're able to worship him through song. But worship is more than music. It's more than singing. And get this. Worship is even more than the message. It's more than what I proclaim or whoever comes up to preach proclaim. Worship is more than that. And worship is more than prayer. Rob, we pray over the offering every single time and and we, we pray throughout the service. Yes, that's important, but worship is more than just prayer. And worship is more than the offering. You'll notice that Rob says, as we, as we continue our worship with our tithes and offering, our giving is to be a worship experience. In essence, worship is more than our Sunday morning experience. Worship is everything we do in life. It's everything we do. Every moment of every day is to be a worship experience. In your Bibles, turn to, I invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. I want to I look at one more verse before we begin wrapping up this message this morning. Listen to this. Worship is all that we do. It's everything we do. And there's one little verse in Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verse 21. It says this, by faith Jacob, and by the way, Jacob is another hero of Israel's history. He had done amazing things, and and there could have been any number of things that were listed for him to be in Hebrews chapter 11, known as as the chapter of the Hall of Faith, the Hall of Famers, if you want to call him that. Could have been listed for anything. It says, but by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons, and notice the next phrase, and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. He could have been applauded and put in here into Hebrews chapter 11 for any type of thing, but he gets in there. Why? Because he worshiped as he leaned on top of his staff. Jacob understood that his entire life was a life of worship. And so this woman believes, and, and so many of us believe, that worship only happens in, at a specific time, in a specific place. But Jesus Christ is saying it's more than that. Jacob understood that as he worshiped on the top of his staff. Tomorrow, or, or whenever you go back to work, or, or for those of you that are, in, that are retired and are interacting with your family and have different tasks and different volunteer things that you do, those experiences are to be worshiped. As you teach, as you care for your family, as you wash the dishes, as you take out the trash, as you interact with the people around you, that is to be worship. Jesus Christ confronts this woman and says, there will be a time when true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. 
authenticity is always the best policy, not only in interacting with Jesus Christ, but authenticity also is the best policy because it helps us worship the one true God. Jesus Christ, God himself, desires and deserves all that we do, think, feel, etc. He deserves it all. And so I ask you this morning, how's your worship going? I ask you this morning, when was the last time you truly were engaged in worship? So he lays all this out to her, and then we're thinking we're done. And look at verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This man that she's been talking to for the past number of minutes, we don't know how long this conversation went on, how long this conversation lasted, but she's seen something going on all the time, and now it's like Jesus says, the wait is over. The wait is over. And he's confronted her, he's cared for her, he's walked her through this. And I want you to notice something, and remember what I said a few moments ago. The more we we know Jesus, the more we want to get to know Jesus. She is entranced by him because he's so fascinating. And she doesn't walk away. She doesn't walk away. Yes, in your conversations that you have with people, there'll be times when there's a little tension involved, especially when it turns to, this is who Jesus Christ is in my life, and there will be that tension there, but yet, know this, that when the Holy Spirit's involved, they're not going to walk away. And she says, I know, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Look at verse 26. Jesus Christ says to her, I'm that person. I am the Messiah. Jesus Christ first embraces and owns the title of Messiah for himself on Samaritan soil in front of a Samaritan woman. That is huge. Again, it communicates to us that Jesus Christ came to rescue all of humanity, not just part of humanity, but all of humanity. And in essence, when he makes this proclamation, he is saying to her, I have nothing left to explain to you. Nothing left to explain. I am here. And because I am here, all your questions can be answered. Because I am here, your life will make sense. Because I am here, I will minister to you. I will meet you where you are. And he says that to you and me right now. Because he came, because he lived, because he died, because he rose from the dead, he is able to walk with us and he is able to say, I am with you always. Never will I leave you or forsake you. He's the one. He's the one. He says this comment, and now we go into bonus coverage. The disciples return, and notice what happens. They were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? They knew Jesus was up to something. And Jesus Christ is up to something all the time. Will we pay attention to it? 
And then John goes right back to this woman and look at verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Why did the woman come to the well in the first place? To get water. What do you need to put water in? A water jar. What did this woman forget to take with her? The very vessel that was going to carry the water back. This woman came to get water for she and, and the man that she's living with, I guess, or her family, whatever the case may be. She leaves the jar. Not only does she leave the jar, she doesn't give Jesus a drink. You almost want to, say, want to hear him say, hey, I'm parched still. Could you help me out here? But she leaves the jar. And here's why she left the jar. She left the jar because she had to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. All of us have jars in our life. All of us think that this jar is going to hold everything that we need. But we'll find this to be true. That you can't put Jesus in a jar. And we have to leave that jar behind. Because Jesus Christ is bigger than the jar. Jesus Christ is the living water. Jesus Christ is the one who rescues our lives and Jesus Christ is the one who seeks to rescue other people's lives as well. What's your water jar? What's holding you back from sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with someone else? I invite you to leave the water jar and go tell somebody Go tell that friend that you've been having a conversation with for a long time. Go tell that friend what Jesus Christ has done for you. Leave the jar behind because Jesus Christ has come to rescue not only you, but this world. Father, we pray now as we reflect on these words, we would ask that you would help us realize who you are and that we would then respond by leaving the water jar behind and sharing you with others. Holy Spirit, do your work and thank you for rescuing us and thank you for saving us. May our lives be filled with unending worship no matter what comes our way, so that others may see and understand that you are the one true God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we have a couple more songs to sing, and we just heard this, that worship is far more than singing, but that being said, sing out. We're gonna sing a couple songs. One is Good, Good Father, and, it's, and as we sing that song, this woman encountered the Good, Good Father.
And as we sing these songs, not only about the good, good father, but, but know this, that he has rescued all of humanity. And he's even rescued you if you simply turn to him. So let's stand, let's sing, and let's, uh, let's worship him together.